awesome. Well, we just wrapped up a series called Showers of Flowers. We talked about uh, people moving from darkness to light, from death to life. We talked about mental health and the, the state of that in our world today. Um, we, we, uh, my mom came on Mother's Day and kind of shared her Showers to Flowers story. And last week, we were so honored to have David and Wendy Myers share their Showers to Flowers story from their miracle recovery from COVID-19 last year. And, and uh, so if, you, um, if any of that sounds interesting to you, maybe you only caught part of it or none of it, it's all online. You can go to newlife4kokomo.org and always get caught up in, on any of the things that we do here on Sunday. Uh, but today, um, throughout the course of this summer, we're actually going to go through a book of the Bible this summer, and, uh, and we're going to be uh, in a series called In Christ. And this series is going to take us more verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And um, the book of Ephesians is actually a really old letter. Um, many Bible scholars, if, if, you are, have or take, if you've ever taken some deeper Bible classes, uh, they would refer to Ephesians as one of the prison epistles. Epistle is a fancy word for letter, and prison is a fancy word for lockup, okay? <laughs> and uh, the Apostle Paul, he had uh, spent about three years in the city of Ephesus, where he established a church. And, um, and then, because of his, the, him uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, he ended up in a Roman prison. And that Roman prison didn't stop him. He started, he said, just give me, give me a piece of papyrus paper and give me a little ink pen, and I will begin to continue to proclaim this gospel. And so, Paul, from a prison, began to write letters to the churches that he had launched in some of these areas. And one of these letters was a letter to the church in Ephesus that later was, was, uh, has now, to this day, continues to be this inspired document in our Bible, the book of Ephesians. And so Paul wrote this letter, again, from a prison to the church at Ephesus, he spent three years ministering in Ephesus. You can actually read about Paul's uh, ministry in Ephesus and the latter part of the book of Acts. Um, Ephesus was one of the most important cities in the Western Asia Minor area. And so Ephesus was located in today's modern-day Turkey, the country Turkey. Um, in Ephesus, it was very, very well known. If it was known for anything, it was definitely known for trade because of its uh, proximity and location to the sea. Uh, it, was a, it was a large trade and commerce center, so we can assume that Ephesus uh, likely, um, uh, there was a level of wealth likely in Ephesus because of their center of trade and commerce. Uh, but also Ephesus was really known for a Roman pagan goddess named uh, Artemis, also known as Diane. If your name is Diane, please, uh, you have a beautiful name and has no relation to this. But, uh, but Artemis uh, was this goddess in Ephesus that was highly, highly worshipped and regarded uh, she is the goddess of basically domestic animals and the woods and things of that nature, and uh, worship unto, uh, unto her g- could get quite weird. Um, 
In the book of Acts, we read this story actually about a time when Paul was, was ministering in Ephesus. And I love what happened because it reminds me of things that still happen today. Uh, and, and so, so let me tell you what happened. Paul was preaching the gospel of Jesus and people are getting saved. So many people were getting saved and, and turning away from their previous life of pagan worship that there was a silversmith named Demetrius. And this silversmith Demetrius made a, a, a living. Actually, what he says in Acts is, we make a good living at forging idols to Artemis, this goddess Diane. And so because so many people were getting saved, their industry of idol worship was plummeting. And so Demetrius, he gets together all of his other uh, silversmiths. He says, listen, we make a lot of money doing this, but this Paul dude and his message, people are leaving this pagan religion for, for this God, this Jesus. And so they actually attacked them took Paul, two of Paul's people that were with him, and, and, and a riot about breaks out. And then after things get settled because of uh, basically some leaders came in and said, whoa, 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 we're not going to riot because we don't want any attention from Rome coming in because no rioting, right? And so ultimately the believers all got together and they said, listen, Paul, we love you, but you have to go for your safety. They're after you, but don't worry, we'll be okay. And so that is the moment Paul leaves and then he ends up in prison anyway, somewhere else, and he writes them this letter. The purpose of this letter to the church of, at Ephesus is that Paul deeply desires that the Ephesian church would continue to grow in faith, love, and wisdom. That they might know God better and understand his purpose for their lives and live in a way that honors Christ. So there's really two main themes to end in the book of Ephesians, the first, the book of Ephesians is six chapters, it's very short, um, and basically the first three chapters talk about being found in Christ, and the latter three chapter, chapters talk about um, what it now means to live being found in Christ. So, so we'll be able to talk about what families look like in Christ, what marriages look like in Christ, but ultimately, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is helping people understand that they have a purpose to their life. I almost called this series My Identity because you can find a lot about who you are in this book of Ephesians. Because again, Paul's writing to these people that came out of pagan worship and all this stuff. And, 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 and so I almost called it that, but... But what's interesting is, is in these six short chapters of Ephesians, Paul uses the phrase, or its, or its equivalent, in Christ, 36 times. 36 times in six short chapters, he uses the phrase, in Christ, or, or its equivalent. So, that, that, so that's the, the, kind of the, the name of this series, is what it means to be found in Christ. And so, so I wanted to start off with that idea of identity, and just talk about who I am. So if I were to title this first part, it would be who I am. 
You see, there is no doubt that there is a spiritual war going on over your identity. And in today's culture, day and age, it is, it is perfectly acceptable in our culture that you can self-identify. And people will self-identify as really anything that they choose. A man can self-identify as a woman today. A woman can self-identify as a man. People self-identify with uh, a number of genders today. They, they are saying that there are endless amount of genders, and you can identify as any one of them or a number of them. You see, there's a spiritual war going on over our identity. You see, Satan cannot create anything. Only God can do that. But Satan, so what Satan can only do is he can only pervert, distort, and destroy. And so God, he created all things and created them to be good, and Satan is out to take what God created for good and to pervert it, distort it, or destroy it. And God created his, his ultimate greatest creation was you and me. And Satan is out on a mission to pervert it, distort it, or destroy it. There is a war going on over our identity. The other thing is, is that Satan, not only he cannot create, but he cannot hurt God because he is not as powerful as God. But he likes to hurt God by hurting his kids. You see, I, sometimes I, 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 I might pridefully think I'm a tough guy. Although in my life, I've not been in many fights. I've always said I'm a lover, not a fighter. But, uh, but my feelings don't get hurt that easy. Maybe that's what church leadership will do to you. <laughs> but my feelings don't get hurt too easily. But you mess with my kids. Come on, mom and dad. You mess with my kids. Uh, hold me back, Myra. <laughs> you mess with my wife. Like, I'm going to have to check myself before I wreck yourself, okay? Don't mess with my family. And maybe there's something that's built into us as men. So Satan cannot hurt God. But he hurts God by hurting his kids, you and me. And this is what Satan knows. Satan knows that if he can keep you from being you, if he can pervert your true identity, if he can distort your identity, if he can destroy what God intended you to be, then he can succeed in hurting the heart of God by hurting God's kids. And so how does Satan keep you from knowing your true identity? How does he trick us? How, how does he do that? How does he keep us from knowing that God created you for purpose? That God has given you an identity? How does he keep us from knowing that? The first thing is, is Satan uses 
the opinions of other people. He'll use the opinions of parents, peers, friends, the opinions of our enemies. You see, some opinions are true, and some are not true. But what is happening is is that all these opinions, all people are trying to mold you into their image of you. This is why it's so important that we try to call out the gold that God has put in people. This is what this is what the, the so powerful about the the ministry the, of of the prophetic is that a prophetic ministry is going to call out God's perfect identity within you when you can't see it and you don't know it. It's calling that gold and preciousness out of you. So everyone's trying to mold us by their opinion, their image of our life. Our enemies are trying to mold us into their image of us. Or even, sometimes it's for the good, and sometimes it's for the bad. But people, all of our lives are trying to get you to be what they want you to be, and not what God made you to be. So Satan uses the opinions of others to keep you from being the true you. And so it's important then to ask, that what voice are you listening to? The voice of God is calling you into your true identity and letting you know who you are. The second thing that Satan would love to use for you to forget who you are is hurts and pains. Hurts and pains, because we will all suffer from some types of hurts and pains, but what is important to remember is that you are not identified by your hurt. You're not identified, you are not, you are not forgotten. You are not to be abused. You're not devalued because someone else devalued you. But Satan would love for you to get you resentful because you'll forget who you are. He would love to get you bitter because then you forget who you are. He would love to get you angry or full of of guilt, full of shame, because then he knows that you will miss your true identity. And if he can do that, he can hurt the heart of God. And the third way is through media and culture. The media and culture is constantly sending messages to you, saying that you should be like that person. I'm always amazed at how young people will try to model their lives after celebrities. It's nothing new. Probably each and every one of us did it at some point. But it's sending these messages messages that we must be like someone else. You should dress like them. Drive a car like them. You should look like them. You'll never have their talents and you'll never have their abilities but buy what they buy. Do the things that they do. Go the places that they go. And they do this not for you to be the true you, but try to make you the image of something else. 
And if you can be made in the image of something else, then you miss your true identity in God. You see, Satan will put thoughts in your mind. You control your thinking, but he'll, he'll love to drop a thought in your mind, just like I could help drop a thought into your mind. Big, hairy, pink monkey. Big, strong. A banana in his hand. Pink, hot pink monkey. Now, what are you thinking? (laughs) You're envisioning a pink monkey. See, I can put a thought in your mind. And Satan is so clever and so good and so crafty at putting thoughts in your mind. You see, when God puts a thought in our minds, it's inspiration. When Satan puts a thought in our minds, it's temptation. When you put a thought in your mind, it's stupidity. (laughs) When God puts a thought in your mind, it inspires you to be who you were made to be. When Satan puts a thought in your mind, it's temptation. So Satan will put a thought in your mind that says this, you cannot be accepted by God. You need to earn it. Satan will put a thought in your mind that says something like this, you don't matter. You're not important. You're worthless. Give up. Satan will put a thought in your mind like this, you know that that sin you committed can never be forgiven or forgotten. You should always be ashamed of that sin because that sin of yours, too big. Too big. You will always be tainted because of that sin of yours. You say, but, I, but God forgave me. But it's still in there. You'll always be a little marked, a little little tainted by that sin. He'll put that thought in your mind. You see, Satan's greatest tool is to get you to completely erase your true identity. And the greatest way he gets you to do that is not just to get you to think it, but the moment he gets you to start repeating it back to yourself. I really am worthless. I guess no one really actually is my friend. And he sits back and he says, I put that thought in there, and they just keep repeating it to themselves over and over and over. As long as they're repeating it, they're forgetting who God made them to be. I guess I, I, really, I really am that way. I guess I am tarnished. I'm tarnished. And every day you wake up, I'm tarnished. I'm, I'm unforgiven. I, I'm, I just feel so guilty and ashamed. So with all of that against us, how do we know our true identity? Well, just like one theologian said, just like we can only know God through Jesus Christ, 
we can only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We can only know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of life, death. We cannot know God. We cannot know ourselves. It is only in Christ. And the people of our world, since the dawn of humanity, have been searching and looking for who they are. And until you find it in Christ... The search is endless, and the search is empty. See, people are, are dying to have a cause to fight for. They're looking for a purpose. But outside of Christ, it's just empty. So who am I? So again, in Ephesians, Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, 36 times in these six short chapters. And so... If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, if you want to grab an orange Bible in front of you, in the, in the chair in front of you, behind you, it'll be on page 798 in the orange Bible in the chairs. Um, i tell you what, if you do not own a Bible of your own, that orange Bible today, I want you to take it, and I want you to write your name in it so that God can write his word in your heart. That is our gift to you. If you need a Bible, I want you to take that orange Bible. I want you to write your name in it, and it is yours today, okay? So we're going to be in first in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to start right at the beginning of this book. And uh, the verses will be on the screen, uh, but also if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me as well. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now watch this. Paul, an apostle. Apostle simply means sent one. So if, uh, and it says sent one of Christ. So he is sent to carry the message of Christ. Why? Uh, because it is by the will of God. So here's what you can know too. Is you could put your name there. That Devin sent for the cause of Christ by the will of God. So Paul's starting off his letter of what? I know who I am, and I know who I'm for. He knows what he's called to, and he knows his purpose. His root is planted, rooted, founded in the will of God. And so too, your purpose, your identity, your calling, who you are, is rooted and founded by the will of God. And he says to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3 he says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, say it with me, in Christ, praise be to God our Father, who blessed us with, watch this, every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. See, when you are found in Christ, <laughs> you get every 
spiritual blessing. So now Paul's going to kind of unpack these spiritual blessings, and in it you can know who you are. So he says every spiritual, spiritual blessing in Christ. Mm, I forgot to do something. It is so important. Where's John Martin? We have ushers that are going to help me with something, and I was supposed to do it before I started, and I even highlighted it in green. Okay, so John, John you, you and your team help me out real quick. John and, and, our, and our ushers, let's give them a hand. Thank you, guys. Um, they're going to be passing down your aisles a stack of post-it notes, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to take two post-it notes, but leave them stuck together. The reason is, is because at the end, the top post-it note, I'm going to have you write some things on it, and the reason I'm asking you to take two is so that, uh, that at a later time, you can peel off that post note and put it somewhere important, okay? So you're going to take two so that the, the, the one you write on doesn't lose its stickiness. So take two post it notes and pass it down the row. And uh, there are pens in the seat back pockets in front of you. And uh, so we're going to do this together. This is, this is something that, that I'm going to give you four things that I want you to remember so, who you are. Okay, this is to help you remember who you are. Okay, I'm I am so sorry to have delayed that, and uh, but um, but I would love to know when everybody is got their two posties. I love post-it notes. Every once in a while, I'm like, I just need a post-it note. Like I'm a digital guy. I do everything digitally. I, I use a program that syncs to my computer and my phone. I, I have lists. I have documents. I have all this stuff. But every once in a while, I just need a good old post-it note and slap that thing on my computer, slap that thing on my desk, whatever it may be. Sometimes uh, a, a good post-it note message is, is what you need. Uh, that post-it note declaration. That, that you take that post-it note and you're like, Mm, man, God gave me a word. I need to remember this word. Give me a post to note, somebody, because I'm going to post that thing where I can see it so I can remember it when I need it most. So you post that thing on the refrigerator. You post that thing in the car. And uh, I have several post-it notes that are now tucked in my desk drawer, um, but they were so important to me that I had to keep them because they were post-its I had put up in my office throughout the years of declarations to help remind me who I am, and, I, and I've, I've kept them. So everybody got their post-it notes. Everybody's got something to write with, or you can share something to write with, but every chair back should have a pen, so get yourself something to write with. I'm going to give you four things from Ephesians that I want you to know who you are, okay? So Ephesians 1, again, it says every, that, 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 Uh, Jesus has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is the first thing I want you to know. I want you to get this into your life. And that is this, is that I am in Christ. So this is the first thing on your post-it note that I want you to remember. Just write these words. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And so when, the, when Satan comes and he wants to drop a thought in your mind, you say, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And, and here's how important that is. You see, um, 
It, this is a, a, a huge identifying marker of who we are as believers. That we are in Christ. This is, this is an identifying marker for us. You see, for the, in the ancient Hebrew culture, you were easily identified by the clothes that you wore. It's almost like today. I remember in high school, you always kind of knew which group of people were friends <laughs> by the clothes that they wore. You had the, the group that they wore all black, dyed their hair black, black makeup. You know, you had those people. Then you had the sporty ones. In my day, it was like Abercrombie and Hollister and brands like that. And then you, 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 like we, 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 like to, we like to have a certain style. But, but to them... The cloak that you wore, it did identify things about you. When Elijah called Elisha, he came up behind him and he took off his cloak and he threw it around him. When Tamar was sent away by Judah in in the book of Genesis, after she married two of his sons, they both died. He sends her away as a widow. And what does it say? It says, Judah told Tamar, go put on widow's clothes. So everybody knew you were a widow if you wore widow's clothes. Everybody knew that you were in the tribe of Levi because you had the cloak of a priest. Oh yeah, and Tamar, one time, she took off her widow's clothes to disguise herself from her father-in-law Judah. And it says that she put on the clothes of a prostitute. Now, before you think you know what that means today, uh, back then it was a type of coat, but also a covering of the face. So you would know, and Judah knew when he went into town to shear sheep, he saw this woman, and he knew, he knew what he could do because of her clothes. And so, so interesting that when we got saved, the Bible talks about that, how he has traded us our filthy rags and he has clothed us in righteousness and that we are now clothed in Christ. So now, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. It's been forgiven. He sees you from the coat that you're wearing. And he sees that you are clothed in his son Jesus. And he sees that you're righteous. Not because we're righteous. Not because we're perfect. But we are in Christ. And so now this is a a, a huge identifier for all of us that we can be found in Christ, that we have taken off our filthy rags. And so when the devil wants to come and remind you, you're filthy, you've messed up, don't you forget, I know your past. You say, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Remember, you are found in Christ Psalm 91 says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I am in Christ. He is my refuge and I trust him. He's got my back. And he does. Let's look at Ephesians 1.4. 
Ephesians 1, 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. So before the creation of the entire world, he already loved you. So the first thing I see you to write on your post was, I am in Christ. The second one is this, is I am loved. I'm loved. I'm loved. It was for love that God did all of this. It was love before he spoke and there was light. It was love that he brought peace on the surface. It was love before the mountains were created and animals of the earth and sea. It was love in his breath that breathed life into the nostrils of Adam and brought him to life. It was love. And on the days that you feel loveless, on the days that you feel unlovable, on the days you feel forgotten, I want you to remember, I am loved. I am loved. I am, and this means, not just you are loved, but you are accepted. And you've been accepted all along. You have been embraced by the love of God. You have been redeemed by the love of God. And this word redeemed, redemption, it is a word that means to be bought back. And when God redeemed us, he redeemed us with the most expensive currency one could ever, ever use. He purchased you with his own life. No amount of money in the world would you give your life for because you can't take it with you. So the blood of Jesus supersedes the the value of all the riches of the world. Yet that's what God chose. He chose to give his only son to buy you back. But redemption isn't just buying back. It It literally means buying back something you already own. You see, we are all God's. Even those that deny him, they belong to him. And God spent the highest price to buy back what was already his. It reminds me of the story of Gomer in the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God. God told Hosea to go marry a promiscuous woman. She was a woman of the sex slave industry. She was a prostitute. And Hosea, a man of God, marries her. Three times she would leave him and go back to the streets and he would go find her and he would go find the man that owned her and he would pay the price to have her. And that's what God does for us. He saw the state we are in and he is godly and we are promiscuous. And he says, but we're going to have a marriage together for life. And we leave him. And we return back to our old ways, but there he is searching for us in dark places and buying us back with his shed blood. You don't do that without love. I am loved. And the cross of Christ is proof of that love. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
So on your little post-it note, you should have, I am in Christ. I am loved. Look at Ephesians 1.11. It says, in him, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So on your little postie, you've got, I am in Christ, I am loved. And the third thing I want you to write on your post-it is I am chosen. I am chosen. I am chosen. He chose you. Jeremiah 1.5. Listen to what it says. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. These are the words of the Lord. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In other words, before you were born, God knew every intricate detail of your life. Before you were born, God had planted an identity and a purpose for your life. He chose you. He didn't choose you because your parents happened to have had you. He didn't choose you because your, your birth came from unfortunate circumstances. He cho- chose you before you were born, before you were formed in the womb. And he loves you. He's given you purpose. Listen, again, Ephesians 1.11, and we'll read a little further now. It says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that who, uh, who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So if you want to know what your purpose is, it's connected to being the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now there is a, uh, a theological thought about this verse and others. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of it. It's called predestination. Predestination is something that um, uh, people that would consider themselves Calvinists would believe. So there was uh, a man a long time ago, his name was John Calvin. He came up with kind of with this line of thought about predestination. And, and ultimately, if I were to summarize it for you, predestination means that, that God already knows who will be saved and go to heaven, and he already knows who will not be saved and go to hell, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. He already knows. Predestination is not a view that I hold in that way. Is God omnipotent? Absolutely. Is he all-knowing? Absolutely. But I also know that my infinite mind can't figure out, uh, my finite mind cannot figure out an infinite God. So when it comes to predestination, my, my struggle with predestination, the theology of it, is that it robs us from an urgency for prayer and evangelization. In other words, for prayer and reaching people with the message of Jesus. Because it feels very like, well, if God already knows who's going to go to heaven and hell and nobody can do anything about it because of this, this called irresistible grace that no, they won't be able to choose the, the salvation, it will be as though like they just can't resist it. Um, if, well, if that's the case, then 
Well, well why, why evangelize? Why tell people about Jesus? Why pray fervently, right? And so we do not hold to a predestined type theology, but, 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 let me, but I will say this about uh, concerning election and predestination, and I want to I, I give you an illustration to help explain it. So concerning election and predestination, we might use an example of the great ship. And this ship is on its way to heaven. This ship is the church. It's chosen by God to be his very own special vessel. And Christ is the captain and pilot of this ship. And all who desire to be a part of the journey to heaven must know the ship's captain. They must know him personally. They must entrust their lives to him if they want to board the ship. In other words, they must become a part of his church through salvation to be on the ship. And as long as they are on the ship, in the company of the ship's captain, they now are among the elect and on their way to heaven. If they choose to abandon the ship and its captain, they cease to be part of the elect. Election is dependent upon one's personal relationship with the captain and one's place on his ship. So here's what predestination tells us. Predestination tells us about the ship's final destination. So God has predestined that the church will arrive in the heavens. In other words, he has predestined that anyone that has put their faith in Jesus will have eternal salvation. That God has, he has prepared that for those on the ship. But God invites everyone to come aboard the ship and to become a part of his elect through faith in Jesus Christ. So God has predestined since the beginning of time that Jesus would be the way of salvation. The Bible actually says that before the foundations of the earth that he was the lamb that was slain. So predestination is that God predestined that Jesus would be the only way. He's the ship and the captain. And all who are found in Christ are part of his elect to join in with him. So here's what I want to tell you. He chose you. You are chosen. But we must choose him. So I am in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. Let's look at Ephesians 1, 5. It says, in love, remember, I'm loved. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So not only are you in Christ, not only are you loved, not only are you chosen, but here's your fourth thing for your little post-it note. And that is that I am adopted. I'm adopted. That we became sons 
and daughters of the Most High God when we put our faith and trust in him. And if you're here today and you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, then today could be your day to stand before the judge and be declared a son or a daughter and adopted. That he would give you this new sense of identity of who you are. Because when you realize that you are a son or a daughter of God, then on your worst day, you can step outside and see the birds of the air and feel the wind behind you and see the skies and their vastness. You could consider the galaxies outside of our atmosphere. The strength of the sun and the orbit of the moon and you can see the, the, the highest of our mountains and the strongest of our oceans. You can see all of that and say, the man in charge of all of this is my dad. The man who created all of this world is in charge of it. And I am his son. I am his daughter. And as big as he is, he knows everything about me. And I'm going to be okay. Because I am a child of God. He sees me. Oh, and when you feel bankrupt and you feel empty inside or you feel, you feel like you're missing something in you, you can remember, I'm a child of the king of the universe. Which doesn't, this is the thing about when you realize you're a son or a daughter. Let me give you an example. Imagine, imagine a Fortune 500 company owned by your father. And imagine he, he, he lets you kind of come up through the ranks all in your own accord so that, you know, like people don't say, oh, you're, you're the CEO's favorite, you know, all this stuff. But, but, but in the midst of it, some people may not know that you're the owner's son or daughter. And you see that they're a hired hand. And sometimes they may put you down and say, man, I'm going to get promoted before you. I'm better than you. My numbers are better than you. My sales are stronger than yours. And you can start to feel really defeated. You can start feeling like I don't have all the abilities and strengths, but then you remember. <laughs> I'm the son or daughter of the owner. So actually, you can fight all you want, but all of this is actually going to be mine. And when you realize that you're the son or the daughter of the one in control of everything, you realize it's okay. It's all mine anyway. Because as a child of God, you're also an heir to his kingdom. So when the devil tries to come at you, you say, listen, you punk, I'm not just a child of God. I'm an heir. And you don't have to earn it because we don't deserve it. But he chose us and he adopted us into his great family. You see, here's, here, here's the great thing. When someone puts their trust and hope in Jesus and they choose, I'm going to be a follower of God, they experience an identity change from slave 
to a son. And their whole world begins to shift because they know who they belong to. Galatians 4 says, But when the time, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, and God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And he says, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So we could look out over all he created and say, you know what? My problems don't seem so big when I realize I'm an heir to all of this. My problems don't seem so big when I realize that the God of all of this is my dad. And he's got me. He's got me. Would you stand to your feet today? I want you to hold that post note in your hand. I want you to, this week, I want you to peel that top post note off that you wrote those four things on. I want you to put it somewhere so you can be reminded of who you are. Let's see those four things right now. I am in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. I am adopted. I have this post-it note already. I wrote these four things down on a post-it note. I was trying to remember. It might be coming, it might be near five years ago. My post-it note is pink. And for the last five years, it's on the inside of my Bible. This is where it's been for the last five years. To remind me who I am. And when I open my Bible, I see that little pink post note peeking out under there. And I'll just open the cover. See, at the top I put my name. Maybe you should put your name there too. I put my name and then I put, I am, I'm in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. I am adopted. And on days when I feel inadequate, on days when I feel like I'm fallen, on days when I feel like I'm not my best, when I feel discouraged about, am I, am I being the best dad I can be, the best pastor I can be, am I, am I getting it done? I see this little pink post-it note peeking out at me, and I turn the cover and I say, I am in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. I am adopted. And everything I am is in Christ. So I declare over you today that no matter what you're facing, past failures, current struggles, inadequacy, loneliness, despair, won't you say it with me? Hold that post-it note. Say it with me. I am in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. I am adopted. Come on, say it again like you mean it. I am in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. I am adopted. And when Satan wants to put a thought in your mind this week, I am in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. I am adopted. And when bad news comes your way and you say, I don't think there's a way out of this, you just remember, I am in Christ. I am loved. I am chosen. I am adopted.
I'm a child. I'm a child. I've been redeemed. I have value. He loves me. He chose me. He wouldn't choose me for me to fail. But he put his spirit in me for me to win. Thank you, Jesus. Now would you just close your eyes all over this place? Just you, just God. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've not known this because I've never made a decision to be found in Christ first. There's no better time than right now. No better time than to yield your life and become a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you say, you know, I don't, I don't know about this whole thing, but I just know I need to get my life right. Your first step is just to surrender it to Jesus. So with every eye closed, every head bowed today, I just want to ask if there's somebody here today that you would say, I need to maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, I need to get my life right. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to become a follower, and I don't have all the answers. I don't know what all it means, but I want to start the journey. If that's you, would you just slip up a hand so, so just I can see you. Just lift it up just a little over your shoulder so I can see your hand this morning. Thank you. And once you put it up, you can put it down. Thank you. I want you to just pray a prayer just like this. You can pray it in your own way and in your own heart. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I want to start this journey. I want to, I want to live for you. I want to know who I am. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one last song together. And this morning, I want you to remember who you are. You are in Christ. You're loved. You are chosen. You are adopted. And this week, I want you to speak those words over yourself even when you don't believe it. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.